you are listening to us from englishwithadifference.com we are available on spotify amazon music google podcast apple podcast jio sound gana and other platforms whichever platform you are listening to us from you are most welcome to this episode today's topic of discussion is poets and pancakes by ashoka mitran it is a lesson which is included in the 12th standard cbse curriculum here i begin poets and pancakes is an extract from the author's book my years with boss which is a beautiful account of the inside activities of the famous jamini studios the office boy that is the author himself performed an insignificant role in the studios but he had literary aspirations how he aspired for higher things in the literary circles is beautifully presented in a simple yet humorous manner his allusion that is reference to himself in the book god that failed symbolizes his literary status though unknown and unrecognized in the jamini studios the chapter becomes a knowledgeable and satisfying reading into the studios different departments and their working in a witty and humorous style the title poets and pancakes refers to the poets and pancakes matter used for makeup and is humorous in its incongruity between the two dear listeners now let me narrate the story in short pancake was the makeup material that the jamini studios bought in truck loads humorously the author states that this must have been used by famous hollywood actress greta garbo and bollywood actress bijanti mala the makeup department was situated in the upstairs of a building that was once robert clive's stables the makeup room looked like a hair cutting saloon with lights at all angles around and large mirrors they were all incandescent lights and were a real fiery misery for actors and actresses a strict hierarchy of work prevailed in the makeup department of jamini studios a strict hierarchy was maintained in the makeup department the chief makeup man made up the chief actors and actresses ugly in order to make them presentable in the movie his senior assistant did that to the second hero or heroine the junior assistant did the main comedian and so forth the office boy did that to the players who played the crowd the office boy and his work the office boy that is the author himself work in a cubicle tearing up newspapers all the time most of the people thought that he did nothing so anyone who felt so would enter his cubicle and deliver an extended lecture he felt that in him a great literary talent was being allowed to go waste in a department that was fit only for barbers and perverts so he prayed for crowd shooting all the time the office boy concluded that all his frustration and sufferings were due to kothamangalam subu subu was the number 2 at jamini studios 
Like the office boy, he must have had to face more uncertain and difficult times. When he began his career, there were no established film producing companies or studios. Education-wise, he could not have excelled the office boy, that is the author himself. But by virtue of being born a Brahmin, he must have had exposure to more affluent situations and people. Subhu always looked cheerful, though he had a hand in a flop film. He could never do things on his own, but he had great loyalty to his principal. He was tailor-made for films. Subhu was a great human being also. His house was a permanent residence for dozens of his relations and acquaintances who used to come to him for his help. Surprisingly, such a charitable man had enemies also. Was it because he was so near to and intimate with the boss or because of his nature of a sycophant or because of his saying nice things about everything? The office boy wished him the direst things. Subhu was seen always with the boss, but in the attendance roles, he was grouped under the story department, comprising a lawyer and an assembly of writers and poets. Jamini Studios was the favorite place of poets like SDS, Yogyar, Sangu Subramaniam, Krishna Sastri, and Harindranath Chattopadhyay. Its excellent mess supplied good coffee at all times of the day and for most part of the night. Meeting over a cup of coffee was satisfying entertainment in those days of prohibition under Congress rule. Most of the employees of the studios owed Khadi and worshipped Gandhiji, but beyond this they did not have the faintest appreciation for political thought of any kind. Naturally, they all were against communism. A communist was a godless man. He did not believe in any religion. He had no filial or conjugal love. He had no compunction about killing his own parents or his children. He was always out to cause and spread unrest among innocent people. Such notions or ideas floated vaguely amongst the khadi-clad poets of Jamini Studios. Dear listeners, the plays of Moral Rearmament Army, that is MRA, terribly impressed the Madras and the Tamil drama community. For some years, almost all Tamil plays had a scene of sunrise and sunset in the manner of Jotham Valley with a bare stage, a white background, curtain, and a tune played on the flute. The Moral Rearmament Army was welcomed at the Jamini Studios because it was a kind of counter-movement to international communism. The big bosses of Madras, like Mr. Basson, simply played into their hands. Mr. Basson was the head of the Jamini Studios, so he welcomed MRA at Jamini Studios. Welcoming of a renowned English poet at Jamini Studios. A few months later, the whole shooting stage of the Jamini Studios was cleared to welcome a poet from England. 
the employees of the Jamini Studios had heard till date common poets who were Wordsworth, Tennyson, Keats, Shelley, Byron, or Eliot. But nobody knew about the new English poet who was about to visit Jamini Studios. So all were curious to know who the English poet was who was visiting the studios. Someone said that he was not a poet but an editor. Mr. Basson, who himself owned Jamini Studios, was also the editor of the popular Tamil weekly Ananda Bikatan. So he was giving him a big reception. The author says that the poet was a tall man, very serious and of course very unknown to all of them. The boss of Jamini studio, Mr. S.S. Basan, read out a long speech. His speech indicated that he too knew little about the poet. Then no one understood what the poet spoke about. After the welcome address of S.S. Basan, the English poet started speaking. But no one knew what he was talking about. His speech was beyond the understanding of the audience. This left everybody confused. They dispersed, thinking what they had been doing there. The Englishman's visit remained a mystery because whatever he spoke about was not understood by anyone due to his accent. Secondly, no one knew why an English poet was there in a film studio. The poet too looked confused for he too must have felt the sheer incongruity of his talk. Dear students, now let us know the author's views on prose writers. The author states humorously that the great prose writers of the world may not admit it, but his conviction is very simple. The author says that prose writing is not and can't be the true pursuit of a genius. Let us know why the poet makes such a statement. The poet says that prose writing can't be the true pursuit of a genius because it is always rejected. A genius is one who is accepted everywhere. The author states all this with a taunt. Prose writers are patient, persistent and persevering drudges. They can't be downplayed by rejection slips. Now let us know how the author came to know about a periodical called The Encounter. The author did not know about The Encounter periodical before. The Hindu newspaper published an advertisement for it for a short story contest. He wanted to know about it before sending his manuscript to England. So he visited the British Council Library. There he saw many untouched copies of the encounter. When the author read the editor's name of the encounter periodical, he felt like he had found a long lost brother. He sang as he sealed the envelope. This excitement made the author feel that he had found a long-lost brother because he had sent his manuscript to him. He felt the editor might feel and sing like him 
the same song as it was in the first and final reels of the film. His name was Steven Spander. Dear students, for your information, I would like to add here that the author knew that in those days the British Council Library was a forbidden area. There were copies of the Encounter periodical lying about untouched by the readers. He visited the library once and read the editor's name. He felt excitement that its editor, that is Stephen Spander, had once visited the Gemini Studios. This is the reason uh, exactly why the author felt very much excited to know the name of the editor. Dear students, now let us know how the author felt after getting hold of a book containing Stephen Spender's essay. The author was out of the Gemini Studios years later. He had plenty of time but not plenty of money. On the footpath in front of the Madras Mount Road post office, there were new books and their copies which cost 50 pesa each. Actually, they were copies of the same book, an elegant paperback of American origin. The author bought one book titled The God That Failed with a cost of 50 pesa. Now, let me tell you, what is this book all about? First of all, let me again let you know how the author procured that book. The author bought one copy of the book, The God That Failed, from the footpath. This had six separate essays by six eminent men of letters. Among them was Stephen Spander. The author at once recollected that Stephen Spander had visited Gemini Studios. He knew about the mystery of him now. So the book assumed tremendous significance for him. The book, The God That Failed, here refers to the author himself. The author wanted recognition as a poet, so he sent his manuscript to Stephen Spander, editor of the Encounter Periodical. He sought a close affinity in him because he had visited Gemini Studios where the author worked, but he failed. So, like the journey in communism that failed the essayists of that book, the author also failed. Dear students, it is important for you to know why the writer has made reference of Stephen Spander in the story. So, let me elaborate. The author had literary ambitions and tried his best to soar high, although he failed in the literary field. In identifying himself with Stephen Spander, he had hung much hope onto Spander to realize his ambitions. This is clear in his saying phrases like, a dark chamber of my mind lit up by a hazy illumination, when he has this book in his hand. S.S. Basan, his boss, the author says in the end, may not have much to do with Spander's poetry. But this poetry 
has or had something to do with the author himself who failed in shining in the field of literature. It means that the author treats himself a literary person and how important he was for his principle as a god that failed. Through a subtle humor, the author correlates himself with Stephen Spander, his principle, the boss, his relations with him, and all that. But he surely has failed like the god of the book. So, dear students, in the end, I'd like to throw some light on the appropriateness of the title Poets and Pancakes. This lesson, Poets and Pancakes, describes Gemini Studios and its functioning very clearly. Its employees are little unrecognized poets, although they work in a film studio. The focus is on the author's place in the studio as a makeup boy using pancakes on crowd players and how he failed as a poet. So, the title Poets and Pancakes is appropriate. Hope you understood the narration of the story. Thank you so much for listening.